almost to the end. We started this summer reading through the whole book in church, and now we are all the way up to the end of chapter 25. So if you want to jump over in the scriptures to that chapter, you can pull out the seat or the Bible in the seat back in front of you, uh, or open up your Bible app or whatever you might have there. We'll start in verse 23 of Acts 25. This summer we've been looking through the book of Acts intentionally to see how does the Holy Spirit work in the lives of people who say yes to him. When people put it all on the line for Christ, when they decide to believe the gospel and start walking with Jesus, what does that mean? What happens to them? And how does God's work start multiplying in their lives and spilling out other people's lives? So in our journey through the book of Acts, it's felt a little bit like an adventure with all sorts of ups and downs. Sometimes the gospel will go into an area People will receive it with joy, and there'll be like a new church that'll start or some great miracle that will happen. At other times, the gospel goes into an area, and people are so angry about it that they start mobs and riots, and they try to kill people just over the words that are being spoken, telling the truth about Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead. So lots of varied reactions happen when the good news about Jesus is spoken, And so in this part of the book of Acts, as we kind of come to the conclusion, we're tracking along with the story of the Apostle Paul. Of course, there were other apostles going to other places in the world that the Bible doesn't directly record for us. We learn about them at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, people like Matthew or Thomas, but then the book of Acts doesn't report on where they end up. Church history tells us a little bit about where those people went. It's actually very fascinating to Google what happened to the apostles and just find out about where they went. And for example, the apostle Thomas made it all the way to India preaching about Jesus before he passed away. And uh, there's all sorts of neat stories. But in the book of Acts, you specifically see a lot about Peter and a lot about Paul. And at the end of the book of Acts, we're reading about the conclusion of Paul's journey. Paul had preached to places far and near. He'd preached to people in Jerusalem that were very familiar with the Old Testament. He'd also gone out to places that had never heard of that before and was casting the vision of Jesus to, in their day, what they called the Gentiles, that is, anyone who wasn't a Jew. So he was on the hilltops of Athens doing that. He was in Ephesus doing that. He was sailing around doing that. And his heart, his hope, was to someday be able to proclaim Jesus in the city of Rome which was kind of the heartbeat of the world at that time, the center of the empire. So he's getting closer to that. And in the story we read last week, he was on trial before some Roman officials, Felix and then Festus. And to get a fair trial, he appealed to Caesar, which not only was like his appeal to the Supreme Court in a way of how they might think of it in their time, uh, but it also was a ticket to Rome, which was his goal was to get to Rome and be able to share about Jesus there. So we're going to pick up the story now as Paul is waiting for transfer to Rome, but as he's there waiting in the court of Festus or the prison of Festus, a different king shows up, a different official named Agrippa, and Agrippa decides he wouldn't mind hearing Paul as well. So Paul gets an extra opportunity to offer a defense of who he is and what he's been doing which in his mind is not really about him. It's actually another opportunity to present the gospel to another audience of people. That's exactly what Paul does when we get into this chapter. So as we read, we're asking along the way, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? That is, we're not just reading this for history. We're also reading this to discover what might God want to do in your life or in my life that parallels the kinds of things we saw him do back then. All right, so we'll start our read along here. 
chapter 25, verse 23. It says, So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write to the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started with his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. And if they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope that I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison I cast my vote against them when they condemned us to death, and when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, Your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world that what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from the, power of, or from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they've changed by the good things that they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. 
But God has protected me right up to the present time so that I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much studies made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Then Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants us to learn from this text today. Holy Spirit, as we encounter these verses, we, we see a very spirited of defense by Paul. We see different reactions from the officials he's talking to. I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts now. Lord, as we look at this passage and ask, what do you want to teach us personally? In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. All right, so a couple observations from how Paul defended himself. And I I think it's interesting, as Paul is up there, notice he's not arguing for freedom. He's not down on his knees pleading, like, please give me another chance, or please, I, I won't say the wrong thing to the wrong person anymore. Instead, he's boldly actually, these are people that have judgment power over him, and he still continues to proclaim the gospel to them. And when, when, he, when he holds up his chains at the very end and said, I want you to become as I am except for these chains, you imagine that there he is, in, in essence, leading this moment. A lot less like a defendant on trial and more like a preacher of the gospel. Okay? And that's what Paul was. That's why he was there. He had confidence that he would make it all the way to Rome, and he eventually did, to be able to share about Jesus there. We'll find out about that next week. But here in this moment, he sees opportunity. All the pomp and circumstance, they all walk in, right? There's the king and there's the, his wife and there's the military officers. And he said, great, here's another audience that I can share the life-changing truth about Jesus with. So let me add him. And he starts with his own testimony. He starts with how God transformed him and how he saw the light from heaven. And then he invites them to participate in that as well. Okay, so a couple observations from Paul's defense. One is, the good news isn't actually new. If you look at verse 7, It's interesting, you know, we think about the word news, and I guess it's kind of self-evident that we're talking about something new. The word gospel means good news, but here we find out that the good news, even though there was a new fulfillment of what God had done in this time, there was more news, the actual message that Paul was preaching was not new. It was what had been stated to be the plan of God all the way since the beginning. So you can go back to Genesis in the Bible and read about God's plan for mercy and redemption. And now it's finally coming to fruition, but it's not new. So verse 7, he says, In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. They share the same hope that I have. 
If you go back and you read the, the sections of Scripture that are history or, or prophet in nature, you'll see all sorts, of, all sorts of leanings forward, all sorts of prophecies that point ahead to the coming Messiah. So Jesus comes, He is that Messiah, and Paul says, you know what, I, I'm out there preaching. I've, I've not actually left our faith. In fact, I'm more faithful than ever to the truth of the Scripture. The good news that I'm proclaiming isn't something new. It's actually what has always been the good news, that God is making a way for people to come to Him by faith. It's that same hope for which He was on trial. Okay, another thing that I notice in this text is that there's hope for hard-hearted and impossible people. And this comes up frequently in the Bible, doesn't it? Because oftentimes we run into a character where you think, if there was anyone who would never see the light, it would be that person. So you go to verse 9, and you see here the Apostle Paul describing himself, and he said, I, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name of Jesus. And he even took that to violent extremes. And so the Apostle Paul, if you go back to chapter 7, 8, and 9 in Acts, you see that he was used to be named Saul, and he was one of the people cheerleading the persecution. He was there when Stephen was the first martyr in the church, the first person killed for his faith. He was the one that took the papers from the leading priests and started moving out to other cities to try to find Christians, pull them into prison. His goal was to shut down the Christian message. He saw it as a, some sort of tainting on the purity of his pharisaical Jewish faith. Once he saw the light from heaven, everything changed. Like if there was anyone in the storyline of the book of Acts that should not have become a Christian, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And if there was anyone in the storyline who should not have become the lead preacher, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He was the lead opposition. And yet God so changed his life. When that light shone from heaven, it just turned everything about his life in a new direction. And, and I take great hope from that. Because I see that just as the Apostle Paul is one that you might shake your head if you were at the beginning of the story and say, wow, that guy would never, he won't even listen. How would he listen when he's actively trying to persecute, maybe even kill the people who are talking? Uh, he's never going to come around. And yet, Jesus saved him. Say The same power is available today that was available then. I've told the story before of my own growing up in my home, and some of you are familiar with it, but um, I, I think back, when I think about how God can change a person, I think about my dad. So it gets really personal for me when I just contemplate this, that I grew up in a household that had a whole bunch of brokenness and traumas and difficulties, and I can tell you the whole story sometime, but one aspect of it is that when I was about five, my mom became a Christian and started taking my sister and I to church, but my dad was extremely resistant to anything related to the faith. He was the person that no, no one would try talking to him, and if you did try to talk to him, he would just say, I'm not interested, go talk to my wife. Uh, he was very actively opposed. And uh, there, were, there were a lot of traumatic issues in his background. There were a lot of drugs and alcohol involved. Um, and in the end, my dad was contemplating suicide. That's essentially where his life was when I was about 11 years old. At that moment, for him, he saw the light. And the person that none of us thought would embrace Jesus changed, turned around. His whole life went a different direction. Uh, it was just like the Apostle Paul, where the person that you would think, wow, I, I, you know, by faith I would pray for that person, but I really don't think anything will ever happen. He changed 
And, and I think about that and think, you know, for the, the wayward kids that we might pray for or the, the, the estranged in-laws or the, the person at work that you just feel like they don't even want to listen or have a conversation about things that matter, or the, the people that just for whatever reason it seems like their hearts are hard and they're not open, don't give up hope. Instead, we pray and we say, Lord, you broke through in the Apostle Paul's life. We know you've broken through in our lives here in various ways. We know that it's possible for the hard-hearted to change, but Lord, we need your miraculous power involved in that. I think that's why Paul, multiple times in the book of Acts, he shares his testimony. Have you noticed that? This isn't the first time that he recounts the story of how he came to Jesus because his story is a powerful story of Jesus interrupting his, his agenda and turning him in a new direction. And I believe that's possible for anyone. So if, if you've got someone you've been praying for, someone that you're rooting for, someone that you wish would change, or maybe, maybe it's you, maybe you say, I don't think I can change. Jesus can give you the power to do that. The Holy Spirit can work in your life. Just take that step of faith and say, Lord, I, I believe that this is possible, and I'm going to pray that you would shine your light on that person. And maybe like the Apostle Paul, someday that person will be giving their testimony and saying, I was the least likely to ever accept any of this, and now here's how my life is on a new, a new track. And that leads to the third observation, at least that I make from Paul's defense, and that is that the good news changes our direction and our destiny. I think in church sometimes we get, we get this idea that the good news is an issue of believing something, and, and it is that, but we equate believing something with just what would be happening in our head. So we think, well, I agree with like the tenets of the Bible, or I, I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so therefore I'm a believer, and then therefore I guess I'm a Christian. And well, there's a little bit more to the equation than that. It's not just academic. When you decide to believe in Jesus, you're trusting Jesus with your way, not just trusting him for some new facts, right? So you're, you're, this isn't just going to live in your mind, this is going to be a new direction in your life. And when the good news comes to you, when you see the light from heaven, it doesn't just change you sort of secretly and silently all inside your brain. It changes the way your life is going. So when Paul explains this, he talks about his calling. And I love some of the metaphors he uses. Verse 18, he talks about being sent out to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Like, that's total life transformation. That's not just, now I go to church. No, that you move from the power of Satan controlling your destiny to the power of God controlling your destiny. Everything about who you are starts to change when that happens. It says, then they will receive the forgiveness of their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. And then listen to this, verse 20. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and all the Gentiles, that they must repent of their sins, turn to God, and prove that they've changed by the good things they do. Think, what, what a hope-giving statement that is, that it's possible to change, that the idea of repenting means changing. It means turning, turning your mind, turning your direction, going a new way. And so when you repent, that's, that's hopeful, if we're stuck going our own way, we'll end up in the wrong place. And so when, when Jesus gives us the power to repent, we get to turn around and we get to finally move in the right direction, the way we were created to walk, the things we were created to do. And so God will give you the grace, the power to repent. And Paul's out there 
preaching this. He's saying, I'm calling people, all kinds of people, any station in life, whether it's King Agrippa way up here or whether it's the people on the street in some city that no one remembers, everyone is invited to repent, to turn to God, and then give evidence of that change by the good things that they do. Their mind changes, their life changes, their direction changes, their destiny changes. That's why it's good news. We're no longer stuck. Our destiny isn't already written and there's no way out of it. No, God can change your destiny and give you new life. So I think that's really exciting. And as Paul conveys that calling, it also makes me think about my calling and your calling. And Paul had a very unique calling experience, right? The light from heaven shone down and Jesus said, Paul, I want to use you to cast this vision to share this gospel. But you know, when the Great Commission was given to the disciples, that essentially that same call was handed out to every one of us who is a believer in Jesus. And so in the same way you start following Jesus, you're now commissioned to start inviting other people to follow Jesus. And we say, Lord, how do you want me to express that calling? Where do you want me to be turning people from darkness to light? How do you want to use me to move people toward repentance? And through sharing God's love and sharing God's message, you get to be a part of that just like the Apostle Paul was. Now, there's a little bit of a curious exchange here at the very end, uh, different responses to the message, right? So you've got Festus who, you know, I mean, he, he had risen in leadership pretty high in the Roman government, so ostensibly he was you know, well-regarded, probably a learned guy. Um, you might even say maybe he was open-minded. I mean, there he was listening to all of this. But you could imagine, like, as he's hearing Paul talk, either he's shaking his head going, like, this is getting more and more off the rails, or his blood pressure is rising because he's upset. I don't know which it is, but he kind of breaks in, and he's like, Paul, you're insane. Your, your study is driving you crazy. So that's, that's one response that you can have as you encounter the truth. You might just kind of categorize all the truth tellers and go, well, those people are crazy. I don't want to listen to them. Okay, a different response is what we see from Agrippa. So Paul turns, you know, Festus has a closed mind here, so Paul turns to Agrippa and says, I'm not insane, Festus, what I'm saying is the truth. So King Agrippa, he knows about all these things, and I love that last line, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And that's where Agrippa feels the heat, right? So he breaks in, he interrupts, he says, hold on, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? There's one translation that has Agrippa saying, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Because this is pretty compelling what Paul's sharing. And for Agrippa, who did believe the prophets, it's kind of hard to argue away what Paul's saying. This all sounds like the right thing. So maybe you're like Agrippa, and you would say, well, your response, you haven't exactly embraced Jesus. You know he's the right way, but you're kind of like saying, you know what, I don't think I'm ready yet. Kind of wish this would go away and come back another time. I, I don't know if I'm ready to jump into a decision. Okay, and then there's Paul's response to both of these. One person says he's crazy. The next person says, ah, you know, I, I don't think this is going to happen this fast. Here's what Paul says. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. So that is, other than being imprisoned for it, I pray that you'll become a Christian as well that you'll discover the joy and purpose that comes in following Jesus. So there's Paul holding up his chains before these powerful officials with all this boldness, being a great witness to them. 
them recognizing he hasn't done anything deserving of death, but he already appealed to Caesar, so we have to send him on to Rome, and that'll be next week's story. I wanted to ask you two questions as we wrap up, two questions to consider in your own heart, your own life. One is, Holy Spirit, do I need to become a Christian? So maybe you are like Agrippa in your life journey, like you've learned about this stuff, you've heard about it. You, you might even believe some of the things from like a kind of an academic perspective. You don't disagree with the Bible. And so you'd say, yeah, I'm sort of a believer in that regard, but I, I don't know that I'm actually, I haven't repented of my sins and actually followed Jesus. I haven't become a Christian. So maybe that's where you would start today. Say, it's time for me to cross that bridge and to make that commitment, to make that decision. Could be others of us who have already made that decision, but for us, we're looking at the way that Paul was so bold and so purpose-driven in the way that he lived his life and shared the gospel with everyone he could. Say, Lord, I don't know if I've really accepted that call for me. Like, I'm still sort of living with my own calling. I don't know that I've really recognized that my job as a Christian believer is to be sharing your love and your life and your light with other people. And so maybe for you, it's a matter of accepting that call, saying, okay, I recognize part of who I am and what I'm supposed to do is to be a multiplier of Jesus' love and start to share with people uh, what I've learned about him. Okay, so I'd like us to take a couple minutes to pray as we wrap up. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes, if that helps you focus. And uh, I'll just ask you a few questions and use that as a prompter for some personal prayer time. So to the first question about becoming a Christian... I would ask you, has there been a, a moment in your life when you have put your trust in Jesus instead of trusting in yourself? Has there been a moment in your life when you turned around? So I'm no longer going to go my way. I'm, not, I'm now going to walk God's way. That invitation, that opportunity is available to anyone and everyone who has the ears to hear it. So if you're here right now, and in your heart you know that you've never taken that step of faith, I would encourage you right now to go ahead and do that, to not leave this room almost persuaded to be a Christian, but to go ahead and to finish the storyline so that God can get started with his plan for your life the places he wants to take you and the things he wants to do in and through you, the person he wants to transform you into, all of that is on the other side of your decision to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. So in this moment, you can just voice your own prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, yes, I, I want to turn from my sin and trust you instead. Put my faith in you. If you've been following Jesus and you recognize that he has a call on your life to share the truth, to share his love, to reach out to other people, to think beyond yourself, today could be the day that you accept that call in a fresh way. You say, yes, Lord, I want in on your mission. I don't want to let more days or weeks or even years go by and not make forward progress 
on the whole reason that I'm here on earth. So would you give me more boldness the way Paul had boldness? Would you give me clarity about how you want me to share my story and who I could reach out to and where I could make a difference? I believe as your pastor that you, right now in this moment, sitting here in the congregation, you have a purpose and a mission and a calling from God. And so I want to pray for you that you would boldly take that up and run toward the future that God has for you. Lord, for my brother or sister in the room that, that has that mission call in their heart, I pray that they wouldn't let the moment pass without surrendering to that, recognizing that you have something in store for them, that you have a direction for their life that they're supposed to go. Lord, would you give them the grace and strength to run after that, give them the humility to listen to you. I pray that they'd be filled with joy as they imagine a future lived in your purpose. Lord, may all of us be bright and shining lights, not from light that we generate within ourselves, but the light of your Holy Spirit as you change us, as you transform us and rescue us. Lord, help us to share our story and to live our new lives in a way that invites many, many other people to follow you. I pray that we would all have the heart that the Apostle Paul had in this story to stand in front of our friends or our family or kings and rulers, anything in between, and Lord, to honestly seek the best for them. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us purpose in life mission to live for. Thank you for rescuing us from darkness and offering us a way to move from the power of Satan to the power of God so that we can experience forgiveness and transformation. And thank you that you have not left us on earth without a purpose, that we get to wake up in the morning resolute that wherever we go, whatever work we do, whatever school we attend or neighborhood we live in, that we are here for a reason. And as long as our hearts are still beating, your mission for us is not yet complete. Thank you for that mission in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, God bless you, and I will see you next week for the conclusion of the book of Acts.